Welcome to Moran Talmud, the podcast where we explore the depths of Jewish philosophy through the lens of Moran Avuchim and other great Jewish philosophers. Join us as we delve into the intricacies of the Talmud and gain a deeper understanding of various sugyas in Shas. Tonight, um, we're going to carry on a bit with time, and really part two of time, but it's also, in a, we're going to see time and place. So, to start with, and what I'd like to do is something a bit different today. So, until now, we've been using um, the Moranavuchim to understand, to understand Talmudic concepts and to understand the Rambam other places. And this time, I'd like to use the Rambam other places to understand the Moranavuchim. And uh, we'll see if that how that works out. But otherwise, we'll definitely get a good, nice understanding of a few other nice Talmudic concepts. So the first thing I want to start with is at the beginning of the second chaylek of uh, of Morinavuchim, the Rambam brings 26, 25 propositions, where he tries to where he tries where he's based on those propositions. He tries to prove that there is a God. He tries to prove creation. So. But and mainly, yeah, mainly just trust with God. So, so the uh, the first one of his propositions, and all these propositions are basically based on Aristotle and Aristotelian physics, which quite a lot of it has been disproven because of the physics part. But I think we can still try the Miyashiv for some some of the questions, and as I said, get a bit of a nice understanding. So the first one, the first of his propositions. Is that the existence of an infinite magnitude is impossible? Second one is the coexistence of an infinite number of finite magnitudes is impossible. Which means there's no such thing as an infinite, an infinite amount basically, and you can't put. There's no ways to put many, many non, many finite things together to create an infinite. So this is also a big discussion until today. Is there such a thing as a practical infinite? We know that there's the theoretical infinite we can theoretically think of in that there could be an infinity I mean, today and then it's a whole branch of science that connects to mathematics and i just think engineering and physics but i don't don't know but, but there's still i know it's a big discussion today is there such a thing as a real infinite so Randon said there was no such thing as a real infinite and i'll put on the next um, the next little bit in the on the source sheet, and this is based on and uh, based a lot of the understanding of what's happening here. He used a book by Professor Harvey Wolfson, which he, he wrote a book on Chastai Krashkas. So he did a translation and an explanation of Chastai Krashkas's book, the first part called Or Hashem. So in Or Hashem, Chastai Krashkas comes to argue with lots of these propositions of Aristotelian philosophy because he believes the Ramam uses these propositions to prove God. And Rabchastai Krashkash, first of all, disagrees with lots of the Aristotelian science. And he also, he believes that there's no way to prove God. He believes you can't have a mitzvah. We have a mitzvah to believe in Hashem. He says you cannot have a mitzvah to believe in Hashem if it's, if it's provable. He says it can't be a mitzvah. You can't be commanded to do something that's 100% provable that you can. And then the Ramam tries to prove it based on propositions. He says logically you can't argue with it. Says of Chastan Krashik, if there's something, if there's logic, if logically you can't argue with that there is a God, so you can't be commanded to believe that there's a God because it's 
logically in some ways you're not commanded to believe that there's a sky is blue or whatever. I know that's not like a logical, but whatever would be logically provable, you wouldn't be commanded to believe. They need he holds, he's like one of the always the big discussion in Yiddish plants, is there a level of like a leap of faith kind of kind of point? So this is uh so he's the he 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 holds that you can't have that you can't be commanded to believe something that's logically provable. But anyway, so so he, this uh, Professor Harvey Wilson, wrote a whole book, just understanding the Aristotelian science, trying to understand how he argues. It's a very interesting book. It's a bit bit hectic, but it's very interesting. So anyway, so he says, yeah, so and he just discusses, he's discussing these two propositions. He uh, he writes in his uh, his book here, just uh, to quote. The statement is based on the standard of Aristotle that place is defined as the limit of the surrounding body. Therefore, there's no infinite magnitude in space due to its being surrounded by a body. So Aristotle brings a few proofs. One of his proofs is his proof from his understanding of space. Um, no, the, sorry, his understanding of place more than space, but his understanding of place. So basic idea is what we first have to understand is what, how did Aristotle define place? Because what, what is place? When you talk about place, what actually is it? Is it something that exists? Is it something that doesn't exist? So Aristotle, in his, in, in his, uh, in physics, in his book Physics, here on the, we're here on the first, um, the first uh, page, it's Aristotle Physics 2128. So he, just in the bolded part, when he's defined it, he brings a few examples of what maybe place would be, and he, but he defines place is the boundary of the containing body at which it is in contact with the contained body. So place is something basically that is surrounded. Something that is surrounded by other things is in place. It has something on each side of it. And that is its place. So place exists so much in that. So it exists, but place is something that is completely surrounded. It has up, he talks about the Aristotle, but up, down, left, right, all six sides. I'm looking right. up, down, left, right, forward, back, or whatever it would be. So it's something that has that is surrounded, that is contained on the six sides. That is something in place. So then I start on the next source that we brought here, and this is what the discussion is: is based on his understanding of place. And as we said, place is something that is surrounded, that is contained. Therefore, that is the thing that is in place. Based on this understanding on place of place, he understands that there cannot be something that is infinite, because. Okay, so if we look here, um, in the next source, you see just under where it says two hundred six a one, says in general, if it is impossible that there should be an infinite place, and if every body is in place, there cannot be an infinite body. Surely, what is in place is somewhere. What is somewhere is in a place. So everything is in a place. There's no such thing as there's no such body except for except for maybe God, maybe angels, maybe not, not in the physical corporal world. There's no such body that's not in place. Okay? Just then as the infinite can cannot be quantity, that imply that there's a particular quantity, two, three cubits, quantity that means so that it means these. So a thing being in a place means that it is somewhere that is either up or down. Or in some other six differences of position, but each of these is a limit. And saying it doesn't exist in the physical world, and this is his this is his proof. This is his this is one of his proofs. He has a few proofs of that there's no such thing as an infinite. And, but one of his proofs over here is like this. So he says 
just to is that everything has to be in place everything has to be in a place which means as we said surrounded on all sides now if you had a body that is infinite if you had something that was infinite within place if there existed such a thing called the, an infinite magnitude then then it wouldn't be able to be in place because if it was infinite it wouldn't be able to be surrounded you wouldn't be able to surround it in any way shape or form so how could it be so therefore he says there cannot be a concept called the infinite. That is one of his proofs of the infinite. And uh, look, this this you can argue with this, and but one of the big questions that the the commentaries of Aristotle have on this is is basically so now everything is surrounded, everything is in place, everything is surrounded. In the end of the day, something has to be on the edge. Aristotle, let's say you take the Aristotle believed that the earth was the center of the universe. So let's say you have the earth, you have the spheres surrounding it, you have the moon, the sphere of the moon, the sphere of the, of the planets, the sphere of the sun. And as you go further and further out, you're going to have each sphere is going to be surrounded by the sphere outside of it and enclosed by the sphere inside of it. On each side of each sphere is going to be something on the outside and the inside. So therefore it's in place. But what about the outermost sphere? The outermost sphere, by default, will not have anything around it. You cannot have... Everything has to have... There has to be something at the edge. There has to be something on the outside. So either you're going to say the universe is finite, and if the universe is finite, so then there's going to be something that has nothing on the other side, so therefore it's not in place. Or you're going to have to say that... That on the others that there's that there's almost the that there's something on the outside that that's infinite. So now it can't be that Aristotle believes that there's no such thing as a vacuum. A vacuum being something that that there's almost some a place that doesn't have anything inside of it that is, that's got nothing in it. There's no such thing as a vacuum. So therefore, you're always going to have to either have the, something that's not surrounded by anything. We always going to have to have something that's not surrounded by anything. Either you're going to get to the end of the universe, whatever that would be, and I don't know what would be on the other side of the end of the universe, or that the universe is going to extend on forever, as in that there's a finite thing called the universe, but then it's got matter surrounding it going on forever that never has an end. But then, but let's say, let, let's just, uh, let, let's say, because Aristotle, this is the Aristotelian belief, that the universe is finite. So what is, how is the last thing in place? How is the last sphere, in what place is it? And maybe if it goes infinitely, in what place is that? So this is a question that's discussed by a lot of the, the Aristotelian commentators in to try and understand what, what is space. How, how can this be? So, so here I put here a commentary of Themistus, who was one of the early Aristotelian commentators. Um, so he talks, he, he says, this is, uh, let me, sorry, let me see here. Um, so just to look in the, the second part that I put here, place is somewhere, yet not in the sense of being in a place. But as the limit, which is limited, in other words, not everything that exists in a place, only the body that can undergo change in respect to motion. So he's basically saying that the last, and I think this is where we're going to start from seeing here, that the last sphere is not in place because place only applies to something that that can undergo a change in respect of motion in the, something can go undergo change in respect of, of place and now this is where i think we can try and use some halakhic oh, one last thing before we get to 
some other concepts. And but just to clarify the question once more, so this is the last source I'm going to put here from Orashem, from Kastai or Kastai Krashkash, where he asks, he asks these questions and he asks these questions on place. What is place? Well, how can Aristotle? He asks him the Aristotelian definition of place, which he uses to prove that there's no such thing as an infinite, as an infinite. Um, so he says like this. Um, so yeah, he basically, he basically talks out the questions that we've said before. He says, one except the infinite body will maintain that its place is the surface of its concavity, which the concavity is the outside of the circle, the wide, yeah, the, the wide part, the ball part of the circle, the outside of the circle, which is the surface that encompasses the center. Um, from the point of view of its convexity, it is infinite, and there's no, sorry, sorry, that's right, concavity is the inside of the circle, the inside of the earth, the inner, the inner limitation, but from the point of view of its convexity, the outside of the circle is infinite. It has no place from that perspective because he's understanding that either the world is finite, but even what what surrounds the finite world, there has to be something there. We can't have if if there's a if there's I imagine it in my head, there's a cube, a big ice cube floating that is the universe. But what surrounds it? What is there? Nothing there. There can't be nothing. There's no such thing as a vacuum. So what is there? So he's saying he's asking from that perspective, and why would it not be so? When after all this description, Kondanishpatl fits the celestial body that encompasses everything, they just say it has no place that encompasses, but only one that is encompassed. It is in place, all the, the universe is in place, but it has nothing surrounding it. It is encompassed, it, in, it, in, it only encompasses, but it is not encompassed. And therefore, anything that is in place, this, this universe will not be in place. So how can it be? What is, it must be that Aristotle's definition of place is wrong. Because you have this thing, and it's a major part of the universe. You have the universe, maybe in the outer sphere of the universe, whatever that would be, that is in place, that 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 can't be in place, that doesn't fit his definition of place. And so then Aristotle believed that on the outside there was what? It's very hard to know what he believed. It's, it's a very hard concept to understand. We know, we now know to, today. Are you, are you saying enough to me between? Uh, Kreshkash and Aristotle. Is there, is, there, is there some difference that is shown? No, no, no. He's asking on the definition of place. He's saying your definition of place is wrong, and therefore your proof that there's no such thing as an infinite is wrong. He's talking infinite physicality. In physicality. No, they're talking in physics, yes. which is the problem with this, is, which is what's hard, and that's part of why Moran Nebuchim is not so read, is half of the second section is very Aristotelian physics. And the physics is just not true. Like, for example, today we know that the universe is ever expanding. It's continuously expanding. No, the universe expanding. is finite. It's finite, but it's continuously expanding. Like, they didn't know that. Okay, I'm just saying, like, this is... Uh, we can still fit his, his definition of place maybe into that, if we can define his definition of place. We now know today, and then I bought here, if you look at Newton, Newton um, believed in absolute space. So I bought here a little bit, but Newton believed in absolute space. He believed that basically... You could plot the world on a graph. There is whether whether the Earth is here or not here. With everything, there is like an absolute kind of space. And he believed the same is true about time. That there's an absolute time. That time ticks. There's little pieces of time, like we said last time. That time ticks, and there's it's not dependent on anything. Time moves, and there's space not depending on anything or anyone. Whereas, whereas um, Aristotle didn't believe that. And that truth be told is that this is. Uh, today, I think a big discussion in 
modern physics because uh, Newton was disproved his belief in space that there's absolute time and space by Einstein whose space-time theorem I have no understanding of but it is not it has disproved Newton and it shows that space and time is much more relative which is much more in this Aristotelian vein as we saw last time time is just a measurement of, of motion of change and really that place is a measurement and uh, motion is a measurement of where matter is in space and place where, where matter is in place and place is a measurement of matter it's an, as we said last week it's an accident of matter so so these things are, are really then that's the interesting thing is that they were discussing things on a very theoretical level on observation Aristotle believed in his scientific method was very much based on observation what, what the eye can observe they didn't have all the technology we have today Okay, so Newton was also very observational, but he was doing lots of maths, like much more maths. And that's how he got to his, his theories, much more mathematical. Aristotle was much more based on observation. But, but that's really the question. The question is, how do you define place? And this is what I'd like to discuss, is what is the definition? How can you define place? Now, I'm not really here to explain every problem of Aristotle, because I think that would take a lot of time, and it's not really my... You know, it's not, not really what I'm trying to do. But I would like to, the Rambam who does bring this, and that is what I'd like to do, is try and understand what the Rambam thought. Now, of course, of course the Rambam, uh, I think this is also something that we have to always understand when dealing with these things. The Rambam was first and foremost, I don't understand first and foremost, he's a very complicated man, but he was definitely, well, let's call it, he was, a, he was a Torah scholar, he learned Gemara, that was his main occupation. That's what his main writings were, were all on Halakha and in Torah and in Gomorrah. And, and that, that's what he was. Of course, he was a philosopher and he was a doctor and he was all these other things. And that's what made him a very interesting interesting person as a combined person. But, but when he, we, we read the Rambam, we have to remember the Rambam is, is analyzing things. I think from a, we have to analyze the Rambam like a Rambam. We have to analyze what he thought, what he said like a Rambam. Which means we have to analyze it and try and break it down and try and understand what he meant. And and for this, so this is I'm gonna try and use and use a concept to and we're gonna try and maybe understand how the Ramam understood place based and, and therefore how maybe you could say that there's no such thing as an infinite. So to start with, we're gonna go completely to a different topic. Just so quickly, so Kreshkas does hold this infinite space. Kreshkas does hold the infinite. Space. He has a different and he has a different he has a different he has a different definition in place, which I didn't put here, but he does have a different definition of place, and he does hold the infinite, and he basically doesn't agree with lots of Aristotelian um, physics. What's very interesting is... The Rambam agrees that there's finite space. Well, the Rambam agrees that there's finite place. Place. Yeah. Place. What's the difference between space and place? I would like to, to discuss that and get there. Okay, so, so well, let, let's just uh, jump to a different topic. And then we'll, we'll try to see if we can understand. So, there's Machloikes between the Rashi and the Rambam. What is mitzvah asher shazman grama? What is a positive mitzvah that's bound by time? You have, we have, we know women are not obligated in any positive mitzvah that is time bound. So what is the definition of a positive mitzvah that is time bound? So, the Rambam says here in his, in his parish of Mishnahis on Kiddushin, it says, It's a mitzvah that a person is obligated to do in a limited time. Okay? So, 
so that basically that's something's got limited time. It's limited and the fashion's limited on both ends. It's got a beginning time and got an end time. Rashi holds and that admits that Ashish has man grammar, says Rashi in Dafchaftes and Kiddushin, she has man gorim lashetabo. That time causes it to cut. So the Machlaikis is, the Rambam holds that time has to, that the time has to give it a beginning point and an end point. Whereas Rashi holds that Mitzvah Ashish has man grammar, that time bound is where time causes it to start. But the end point, not necessarily. It's, maybe it doesn't need it. To understand this machlokes, and then we'll try to see one or two nachkeminas maybe. To understand this machlokes, we must look at another Rambam. The Rambam here in Nezirot, in Perakimam Nezirot, right on to the next page. Yudalit talks about a person becoming a Nazir. So there's two types of Nazirs. A person become a Nazir for a limited amount of time, or a person can become, an, well, a person, and a person we actually saw last week, a person can become a Nazir forever, but a person can become a Nazir Shimshon. So a person can become a Nazir as we said last week, it's not forever. It's a pr- could be practically forever, but it's not forever. And then you have this Nazir that you have this that we're going to see this week, which is a Nazir Shimshon. Okay, a person be- who becomes a Nazir Shimshon is different to every other type of Nazir. A Nazir normally is not allowed to cut the hair, and Nazir is not allowed any wine. Okay, and that's this a Nazir Shimshon. And also, is not allowed to cut his hair. He's not allowed any wine. But, but he is. Um, but what he is allowed to do at Nazir Shimshon is he's allowed to become Tamay to the dead, to dead people. Normal Nazir is not allowed to become Tamay to dead people, and a Nazir like Shimshon is allowed to become Tamay to dead people. So a person says, I'm going to be a Nazir like Shimshon, this is his Nazirat. He's allowed to he's allowed to become a Nazir to dead people. And then on the last line of this Ramadan says, Umishi Nara Nazir Kashimshon, a person who who made himself a Nazir like Shimshon, Eno Yachal Le Hishal Al Nidro is not allowed to Ask is not allowed to get go to a chacham. Normally, a person who makes a promise is allowed to go to a chacham, and the chacham will be mavatel will nullify his neder. And he says the Rambam that a person who is a nazi like Shimshon is not allowed to nullify his neder. Because the nazirat of Shimshon was forever. Now Rashi in Makot explains, and this is the case of Mishnah brings to explain this second Rambam, which doesn't seem to be actually brought lahalacha by general. People, but there are, he brings that the that Rashi Rashi in uh, Makot explains that what made the Nazirat of Shimshon special is that Hakadosh Baruch Hu, or, or the Malach made it on Shimshon and he never gave him a, he made it forever and therefore anyone who makes a promise to be a Nazi like Shimshon by default is just going to take on Shimshon's Shimshon's um, the, the, the 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 parameters of Shimshon's Nazirat and one of the parameters was. That there's no there's no get out clause. Shimshon did not have a get out clause. The Malach made him a Nazir. The Malach told him told his mother that he's going to be a Nazir, and there was no get out clause. There was no option to go to Chacham because the Malach made him made him a Nazir. So that's the way Rashi explains the Gemara Makot, and that's why the Kesef Mishnah explains Rambam. Why can a person not get out of his Nazirut? Why can this person not get out of his Nazirut if he, when he became a Nazir like Shimshon? Because there was no get out clause in Shimshon's Nazirut. Says the Rogot Shavagot in the Tovim Panach, he says the Mushaf. And I haven't had this chance, I keep on forgetting to make this Hakdoma. But this Shir and these series of Shirim is really based on the concept of the Rogot Shavagot. The Rogot Shavagot, who is a genius beyond, and he 
he basically he, he's one of the first people I don't know how many there are who uses Morinavuchim who used it as a halachic cipher. So when he writes in his shuts, in his shalas of chuvas, when he writes his commentary on the Rambam, when he writes in his commentaries on Chumash and all, all the all his writings is he's using Morinavuchim and this is really the basis and the what sparked that yeah of this whole series is that the is the Rogat Shavagon who uses this as the basis who uses Morinavuchim as a halachic work. He uses concepts, he takes these concepts and he uses them in a halachic sense. He, uh, as a, he's, he's really the genesis of this whole, this whole idea and the whole vision that I have. But, but so, yeah, and so, that's, uh, so just to give a quick biography, just two minutes. So he was born in Rogachov. He lived in Dvinsk for most of his life. And he was, really he was just a Rambam Yid. He spent most of his time, he never, he didn't, he doesn't, he only quotes Akronim. I'm, sure, I'm assuming he learned the main ones. But he very, very seldomly quotes Akronim. Even Rishonim, he doesn't quote often. He was a Rambam person. Apparently, the story goes, he used to walk into the base medrash every morning. He had a Rambam, a set of Rambam on his desk. set of Rambam on his desk. And he used to say, Good morning, Rebbe. Good morning, Rebbe. That was his... He was a Rambam. Rambam. <laughs> it was... He learned... But he was... The Ramay Simcha of Dvinsk, the Orsamath, who lived, they lived together. Ramay Simcha was the Ashkenazic Rabbi in Dvinsk. And the Rocha was the Hasidish Rabbi in Dvinsk. So, the, and they... They were there together in Dvinsk, must have been entertaining times. But Ramay Simcha said about the Rav Shavagon, the people say that he had a photographic memory. And he said, it's just not true. Because a memory implies that you learn something, and you go, you need to remember it, you go retrieve it. He says that everything, Shas, Tosefta, Yerushalmi, everything was open in front of him, it was like he was reading the book. It wasn't that he had to go retrieve it, that was the genius that he was. So you see he quotes things, when, when you go through a Rav Shavagon, he's quoting things from all over the place. He really is he's using Yerushalmi's, Bavli's, Tosefta's, Medrash, and, and he's quoting things that seem to have no connection. That it was all open in front of him, that he, he made these, these connections. And that was the genius of the man who was, and, and he, was a, he was one of the, yeah, I think he was one of the great geniuses of, you know, the, about 100 years ago. He passed away in the 30s, and uh, his son-in-law actually in the war, he had lots of writings, lots of his writings, he, wrote, he published... I think, he, I think he only published one set of Swarim in his life, which is Sofnas Panachal Rambam. And then lots of, there's lots of other publications. He might have published one more, which is basically, but I, I don't know exactly, but most of the stuff published from him was smuggled out by his son-in-law and daughter on microfilm. It's actually very interesting. I don't know how they took the microfilm pictures, but they got the microfilm. They had the microfilm and they smuggled it out of Europe. And so, the, and lots and lots of his sforim actually, lots of the stuff they put out today, they're putting out all his sforim from, and it's like most of the time it's like his footnotes and things that he wrote on the side of his Gomorrah, and, and they're very, uh, yeah. So it's, but he, the man was a genius, and uh, he comes out here with a fantastic chat, the Zavar Mahalach in how to learn in how to learn this Rambam. So what does he say? Yeah, we can just see first line of the Torah, Panach and So that's his commentary on the Rambam. And he wrote, he wrote, why is it that Shimshon, person who makes a Nazir to be like Shimshon, he cannot be Masha on his netter, he can't be nullified, he can't go to the Chacham to nullify his netter. Why is that? Why, what is the reason that Sha'ila doesn't work? Anything that doesn't have an ending. It's as if it didn't begin. Because it has no nafkamin in time. There's no practical ramification in time. Because forever this thing will take effect. 
So now, so I think and this is what he's saying like this. A person, a person who makes a sh- a, a, any, anything that doesn't have either a beginning or an end, that only has one of the two, is not actually time. It's not in time. Something that doesn't have an end, is not affected by time. It carries on forever. A Nazir of Shimshon, and this is what it means, that Shimshon was a Nazir, forever. Shimshon is a Nazir forever. It's not that he's a Nazir for a hundred years, that practically forever. A thousand years. It's practically forever, but it's not forever. Something that's true forever is not affected by time. The same way, on the side, that we say, Kolosh Bonhu, the Ramam says in Perak Alav of Hilchaz Yisodah, Torah, Kolosh Bonhu is not affected by time because he's, there was no beginning and no end. So do anything that doesn't have, well, in this case, either a beginning or an end is not affected by time. Definitely not something that has an end. No, it's actually, the truth is something that has an end and doesn't have a beginning would be affected by time. So what I'm saying is not true. But something that doesn't have an end is not affected by time, and therefore is not within time, because it has to be, there has to be change. And we said time is a measurement, we said last week time is a measurement of change. If there's no change, then this thing is not affected by time. So, so just a simple question, like, where did the beginning go? You know, on the 4th of July, he said I'm going to be a Nazi Shimshan, forever. Forever, say. yeah. But this... I started on the but, 4th of July. So yeah, yeah. So this Nazirut, it might have a start date practically, but it is not affected by time, therefore it is not in time. And something that is not in time, you cannot ask, and discussed a little bit last week, but you cannot ask, what is Hashem doing before He created the world, if there's no time? Because the word before, the concept before, it is, it, I think it is impossible for us to think of things that don't belong to time. Because we live our lives in before and after and during, and present and past and future. We, we, we so interconnected with it. But says the Rosh that this is a thing that's not connected to time, therefore you cannot say the word before doesn't apply, and the word after doesn't apply. Because there is no before, there is no after, because this is not bound in time. And therefore, if it's not bound in time, says the Lord, he goes on and carries on, he says, it's as if it never started. What does that mean, it's as if it's never started? Because, even though, as you said, practically, practically it started, okay, but it is not in time. So it has, there's no before and there's no after. So it's practically started, but we are not, if we can make, if we can make that, uh, we are. We have not. We we are not. We are not currently. Almost we are not currently in it because now is also a word that has to do with time. Now Chacham can only, and this is the Gemara in Nazir in Nedarim. Sorry, Tzadi says that a Chacham can only be matched in is a Neder that is now. So if I make a Neder that I will start in in a week's time, I will stop eating apples. The Chacham cannot be matched in the Neder now. Because in a week's time, because my nether hasn't yet started. Even though right now it's, it's counting down, in a week's time I'll be able. But until the nether has started practically, the Chachim cannot be much in a nether. And therefore, the Rocha wants to say that this concept, this thing of Shimshon that is not in time, therefore the Chachim cannot be much it because it has to be now. And he says the concept now doesn't exist. The concept now doesn't exist by Nazi Shimshon. Because no concept of time exists, not before, not after, and therefore now doesn't exist either. And that is why the Chacham cannot be Mavatele. Which is a big Chirush. We can uh, definitely hear other ways to learn the Rambam. But this concept, I think, we can take back to our Mitzvah Ashishah's Mangram and we can definitely see it there. The Rambam says that something to be bound by time has to have a beginning and end. The Rashi says, just needs a beginning. You have a beginning, that's wonderful. This is time bound. Time has caused it to come. It is, it is caused by time. 
Zman has been goyrimet. Zman has caused it. That is really enough. A woman is passed from this mitzvah. That says the Rambam, a time bound has to have a beginning or end. Because if it doesn't have an end point, it is not in time. So you cannot tell me that time has caused it because it is not in time. There might be that there's obligations that have, as you said, practical obligations. We as human beings live in time. But it's not within time. And with this we can answer a question that Tosus asks. Because the Gemara in Kiddushin, and all of this is, all of the, 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 the Gemara in Kiddushin has a, has a pasuk like this. Pasuk teaches us that a woman is not chayev to give a son a bris. Where do we know the woman is not chayev to give a son a bris? Because the pasuk says, Ata velata. Pasuk says him, Stompad Avram, says him, and that comes to exclude, we learn, Chachamim teach us, we learn it means him and not her. Abram and not Sarah, which means the male, not the female. Toysavos asks, why, why do you need a Pasuk? Say that a bris is a mitzvah ashe, shazman grama. It is a positive commandment that is bound by time. It starts on the eighth day. So this is all according to the opinion that you can't do a bris and not. And sorry, that you can do a bris and not, because otherwise it might, it might be then clearly a mitzvah ashe, shazman grama. Okay, but let's assume you, can't, you, you can do a bris and not. So let us just say that that bris is a positive mitzvah bound by time. And if a bris is a positive mitzvah bound by time, I don't need a pasuk. I don't need a pasuk to tell me a tov so Him and not her. Toysavus. Toysavus asking on the Gemara. He says, I, have a, I, I don't need a pasuk. A woman is pasuk from any positive mitzvah bound by time. There's a mitzvah to bris your son. But it's bound by time. It starts on the eighth day. Toysavus answers. He says, because from the eighth day and on, there's no hefsek. There's no stopping. It's not Zman Gromer. It is not a positive commandment. It's not caused by time. So there's two ways to learn this process. The one way is the way I think a lot of the world learn it. Is that it's not that it's caused by time. A person is not an oral. Person, a person, it's just practical. You can't, you, any time that a person has an oral, has, let's call it a foreskin that needs to be brisked, you have to brisk them. Just it only becomes, you only become an oral from the eighth day. It's just practical. There's nothing there to bris. It only becomes an oral from the eighth day. But that's not what Toysavus is actually saying. Because if we read the words of Toysavus, it says, Because it doesn't have an end, it's not caused by time. Toysavus here is arguing on Rashi. Toysavus is going like the shits of the Rambam, who can understand them beautifully, that it doesn't have an end time, therefore it is not in time. What is Rashi showing this here? Rashi doesn't, doesn't comment on this. It's not like a Rashi oh, type okay. thing. But the, of the simple answer in Rashi is, like I said, it's, it's not caused by time. It's a practical thing that happens oh. after eight days. Practically, there's no, nothing to brisk. Really, you'd have to brisk it from the birth. There's just nothing there that needs to be brisked. Only after eight days does this foreskin become an orla, and you have to brisk an orla, and that only happens after eight days. That would be how Rashi would learn. But the Ramam is going to tell you, if there's nothing, there's no end point, a person is hired to be brisked, and a person is hired to brisk their child, for eternity, practically, they might pass away. Practically, they might... Something might get in the way, but they are hired to brisk their son, and a person is hired to be brisked and hired to brisk themselves for eternity. There's no end point, and therefore it's not bound by time. The connection between time and place, and this is the last two, two sources on the sheet, are, are well established. They've been established for, I think, from before Aristotle, from the atomists, Thomists. So the Rambam brings here in Moranavuchim, he says that the, the Kalim, that undoubtedly saw Aristotle, prove that time, space, and locomotion, time, space, and movement are all of the same nature. This is to say they can be divided into parts which stand in the same proportion to one another. 
If one of them is divided, the other is divided in the same proportion. They are interconnected. We know that Newton, he proved, proved that time was made up of small parts, like the column, because he proved that motion was absolute. And therefore he knew that time had to be absolute, because time and motion, and time and space, and time and place are interlinked and interconnected. The Malbim, which is just in Parashat Tzav, just to bring a bit of a different kivun, but he also he says that time and place, that both of them, they are interconnected, that they, that everything is, they surround everything, they include everything, everything is interlinked within time and space. He writes, like, like the philosophers know. And therefore, I would like to apply this concept that we've said by, this might be a bit, a bit, uh, a bit speculative, but I think, I think maybe we can say this concept we've said by time, maybe we can say by place, is that something that has no end point is just not within space. It's not within place, so it's not within place. You cannot, place requires, the same way as time requires a beginning, requires an end. So to place requires on the, four, uh, on the right, on the left, on the top, on the bottom, on the forward, on the back. And if he's missing one of those, it is just not in place. It might take up space, but it is not in place. Because place and is, is the defined by, it, by being something on the right, on the left, on the top, on the bottom. And if it is not in place, then you won't have an infinite, something that is infinite in an infinite amount of place. You won't have this problem of infinite man- magnitude. So you might have, the world might be infinite. Which I don't think it is. But let, let, let's go, let's take it back. The world is finite. And Aristotle understood the world is finite. But at the end, in the end of the day, you have the last sphere that is not, that is not in place. So how can the concept of place, the world, the, the definition of place doesn't apply? I would like to say that you're right. That it is not in place. It's not that you can have things that aren't in place. You can have things that aren't in time, that aren't bound by time. Because something that has no change will not be bound by time. And therefore this thing that doesn't have an end, that doesn't have a thing on the right. And that's why I think, I think it would be easier to say that actually the world, that there is an infinite amount of whatever substance there is somewhere. Where the world is finite, I don't know what's on the other side, but it can't be a vacuum according to Aristotle. So there has to be something there. I don't think you can have nothing at the end. And maybe I'm very wrong about that. But I don't think you can have nothing. So therefore I think there has to be something on the, on the outer sphere. There has to be something that goes infinitely. But if there's no change, then there's no, there's no place, because place is a measurement of change. If there's no, if there's no change, there's no space, because change is space and there's a measurement of change. And therefore it can be super large. But if, there's, if it's all the same, and there's no change, and there's no outer edge, then it is not in place. And maybe then, there's not such a question in Aristotle that his definition of place doesn't apply to the outer sphere, because... Yeah, it's not in place. It's not bound by place. And that is what I'd like to propose. Understandingly that it is a bit speculative. But I think we can definitely understand this concept of Mitzvah as Mangroma. We can understand how, how the Rambam and the, the beautiful Pshat and Rambam and Nazirut. And uh, have a good night. Just to add one more thing which is actually quite interesting is that the pastors the nether of the, the Nazirat of Shimshon would never be able to be nullified. Which would mean that even in Olam Haba, uh, not Olam Haba, sorry, in Tchatamaitim, after Tchatamaitim, Shimshon would probably still be a Nazir, according to this Rambam. 
which which would not be true by a normal nether. If a person makes a normal nether, I'll never eat cake. La'olam. Even though he says la'olam, but most nadarim are belashim la'olam. They made, they said as um, in, in the way people speak. And normally when we say something forever, we don't mean forever. We mean until we die. We, forever is a concept we don't really understand, but only because Nizir Shimshon was, was given by Kodesh Baruch Hu, so therefore it is for, therefore Akkadosh Baruch Hu, he said forever, it means forever, and properly forever. So therefore, the Pashtas, the Pashtas, the Nizir, and Nazir Shimshon, even when Olam Haba, I, even by, sorry, by Tchet Ha-Maitim, I would think that there would still be a Nazir. There would still be a Nazir, even when Tchet Ha-Maitim, because the Nazir is forever, forever Kapshutoi, with no end in time. Thank you for listening to Moran Talmud. We hope you found this episode insightful and thought-provoking. As we continue to explore the philosophical concepts of Moran Bukhim and the Talmud, we encourage you to share your thoughts and questions with us. Let's continue this conversation and deepen our understanding together. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in for our next episode.